spooky season is upon us, folks. It's finally time for episode 279, another Halloween spectacular here at the Uticast. Uh, I would say it's 75% of a spectacular. We have music and some Halloween stuff, but we also have our good friend Dan Rudolph, who's been doing the juggling classes at Handshake City every Wednesday at 6 p.m. for the last five weeks, and he's a great interview, and we're really excited to have him on here talking about his journeys across Europe, his time in uh, Peace Corps, uh, and what he's learned through juggling. A lot of great stuff. Also this week, of course, we'll talk about early voting, uh, we'll talk about Halloween costumes, we'll talk about uh, Supreme Court nominations, all of this, folks, and so much more on a very spooky, very exciting episode of the Uticast. And as always... We are happy to have you here. Oh, yes. Hey, we're live on the air for another wonderful episode of the Ucast. Mm-hmm. Episode rainy and dark. Yo, let's talk about it for a second. Kevin is here, by the way. Here I uh, am. Here I am. Oh, if I you're had, surprised. Oh, I, then welcome to your first episode. I had a whole damn. I had a whole intro that was planned out. Uh, mm. Good evening. I mean, we could just bump it. What are we? Twenty good, seconds. Good evening, booze and ghouls. Oh, I am your your spooky host, uh, oh. the Crypt Keeper. Stumbled into Halloween. Sam Famolaro, and joining me. Don't call him Dr. Sullivan. It's Dr. Sullivan's monster. Kevin Sullivan, he's here. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Yes, that's me. I am the monster. Um, I am death become animate. I was thinking about this earlier because, you know, Halloween, we were doing all sorts of spooky stuff. But I have some some moderately spooky stuff. Some moderately spooky yeah, content, some spooky this, content week. this week for us. Cool. Um, Anything not political? <laughs> about it. Yo, See what I did it. there? We're zinging um, on Halloween. But I was uh, I was thinking about, you know, the classic uh, Universal movie monsters, which I do, even when it's not Halloween, I just think about them sometimes. Um, and as a kid, you know, I was thinking about Frankenstein and Dracula. I always loved the creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm. And I was thinking about it. He's probably the lowest tier. We're going to talk about the Chris the rankings. traditional <laughs> Universal movie monsters. Uh, yeah, he's low. I mean, he's lowest tier unless... If you count the Invisible Man, technically he'd probably be lower tier because he's not even a monster. I mean, Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman. You got Wolfman the, the mummy, Wolfman in the top tier with Dracula and Frankenstein. Absolutely. I, I kind of feel he's like part of the Trinity. No, stop, stop. You're embarrassing I yourself. Feel like... You're, uh, hit your pause button. Whatever stops the <laughs> podcast. Take a deep breath. Get it together. They don't you're... remake werewolf movies that often. Bullshit. Werewolf... They made the Wolfman with Benicio del Toro and they Anthony did. Hopkins not nine years ago. But I'm saying they make mad vampire movies, like vampire movies mm-hmm. and zombie movies. There's a billion of them. Yeah. And Frankenstein, to a certain extent, they don't make as many Frankenstein movies, certainly. Mm-hmm. But they've made a lot of different renditions yeah. of the Frankenstein. Shout out the Robert De Niro, mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh, all of them just terrible. Really bad. Really horrible. Really, really bad. I feel like Wolfman they take less swings at. Like there's, I guess there were in the '80s. There's like your your American Werewolf in London and mm-hmm. the, the Howling, mm-hmm. but then kind of not really Maybe another anything. One American Werewolf in Paris too. Oh god! 
Yeah, yeah. The uh, Howling. They made the Wolfman. They made, excuse me, Teen Wolf. Oh, Ginger uh, They Snaps, made the entire, the entire Thriller music video where they were doing that whole thing. It's true. And, you know, people forget. People forget, but there's werewolves in Twilight just as much as there's vampires. They just didn't get top billing. It's very true. They didn't go on to make The Lighthouse. <laughs> Yo, speaking of which, that's... I bet that dude's got a lot of money, though. I'm the watching Twilight that kid. tonight or tomorrow. The like, Lighthouse? That's happening. I've been thinking okay. about it for two days. It's been driving me nuts. So I'm... many great horror movies on. Um, I'm recommending I just watched the new Invisible Man yep. with uh, Elizabeth Moss mm-hmm. there. It's on HBO. I watched that a couple nights ago. That was excellent. I'm recommending that for Halloween season. Yeah, very hyped for Halloween. And, you know, it got me thinking, you know, years ago, when yes. there before there was years ago, right? Uh, I used to do a horror movie every night. What a time when we were in our younger days when I was willing to watch a horror movie every night during October and live tweet it. You know, I'm talking years ago. The live tweet is extra. The live tweet is that you could do a horror movie every night. You would just yeah, have going, you, you would have to sacrifice like football or wrestling or, or like silly YouTube rewatch. Started for well, that was a problem. After a while, I'd be forcing him in, I'm like mm. forcing. I'm gonna watch Hellraiser at one o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, this is that's tough. This Hell, is Hellraiser not... at one p.m. is tough. You know, Hellraiser is actually the movie that stopped me from doing live tweet along with watch a movie. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why. It's not that it's like oh, that's it's... probably extra funny for anybody who's seen Hellraiser. Like if you haven't seen Hellraiser, maybe you don't know why it's quite so funny. It's my commentary was all over the place in the beginning. I'm like, you know, I'm like dunking on the movie, and then I realize as I'm dunking on the movie, I'm no longer watching the movie. I'm like shitting on it like it's Mystery Science Theater, and I'm right. like, well, this is I'm not even paying attention to this movie. I haven't watched this movie in ten years. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't tell you what it's about. I'm sitting here being like, Dad, he looks kind of dumb with those nails in his face. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> hashtag Hellraiser. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I kind of moved away from it, but I think this week oh, I'm gonna. Dude, you gotta get back. There's so many great. They've made so many great horror movies in the ten years you've been away. Well, <laughs> you know what it is. I think growing up, I liked. A slasher movie, right? You right. like a more B style. You know, like some of this I stuff do. that's a little bit more uh, heavier and more uh, makes you think a little more. I'm thinking about something like Hereditary, right? Hereditary. Oh no, I loved Hereditary. Is great, but great. that that's a that's a more taxing watch than like Jason Lives. You know what's you weird? know what I mean? Yeah, and you know what's weird too? I have an odd like sinner. I have an odd connection with horror movies. Like I don't know exactly when a horror movie is going to connect with me. Right, mm. like I is get out a horror movie. I guess it is. I don't know. Uh, shout out to all the fun guys out there, but set and setting, I feel like, is really important mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. watching a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Right, like you got to go into it with the right mindset, and you've got to be like sitting, paying attention, watching it. Like if you try to watch Hellraiser in the middle of the day while you're dicking around folding laundry, it's not going to hit. You know, I always think about the movie The Strangers. I saw The Strangers mm-hmm. when it came out in theaters, and I still love that movie. And watching it in the theater in the quiet, the dark, it was really awesome and unsettling. And I tried to tell a bunch of friends, oh, this is a great horror movie. We watched it when it came out on DVD. But like, all the lights were on. People were hanging out. People were talking. And it was like, this is dumb. I don't get it. I'm like, yeah, you got to be in the right mindset and in the right mood to really connect with the horror movie. Well, I told this story to our good friend uh, of the pod, Dan Rudolph, who we interview uh, later today in this week's episode, who had a great time talking mm. to. Shout out to Dan Rudolph. Uh, Wish he could have been in studio. I love Dan Rudolph. Really, really. Excellent, excellent person. Well, it's funny. I, I told him this story, and I'll, I'll tell you folks here because I only gave him the short version. You know, me and his sister grew up, you know, went to elementary school together, middle school together, mm-hmm. same group of friends. Like, I was at the Rudolph house pretty mm-hmm. regularly growing up as, mm-hmm. as kids, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I remember one time me and his sister and a couple other, uh, a couple other people, I don't remember exactly who was there, mm-hmm. we rented uh, a horror movie to watch at their house. And hmm. we'd never seen it before, and it was... The Shining, right? It was the first time I'd ever watched The Shining. Mm. 
And I remember people like going into the movie and everyone just being like, this movie's not going to be scary. Was it about a hotel? You know what I mean? And we were all like, again, sort of dunking on this movie in the 90s. And, and then we all sat there for like an hour and a half, two hours, just in utter silence <laughs> and didn't say a goddamn word. I always tell the story. That's when we were really, really young, like probably like fourth grade, fifth grade-ish level. We were staying over at somebody's house, a couple blocks away, but somebody in the neighborhood, I can't remember. It was late at night. We were going to ride our bikes home afterwards. We watched a movie, and that person's parents let them rent Candyman. Yo, Candyman. And I love Candyman. So to this day, Candyman, one of the most underrated horror movies of that time period. But um, we all watched Candyman at age like eight, nine. Yeah. Uh, and we for sure called our mom to come pick us mm-hmm. up. We were not riding those bikes mm-hmm. home that dark, dark night when we watched Candyman. That was when we were like, nope, nope, absolutely not. I mean, I, again, I've told this story before as well. Do the quick version. My birthday... Uh, I needed a, an adult to get into the theater to go see uh, Blair Witch Project when it came mm. out. I was yeah, not, yeah. I don't think I was 18 or I had to have a parent or mm. somebody let me in the theater because that was a thing back then. Yeah. So my mom said, hey, I'll come to watch the Blair Witch Project with you and your four idiot friends. Mm-hmm. And we said, I mean, but whatever. I was like, I still want to see the movie. So I was like, sure. You can't sit near us, mom. I did that to her. Of I course. swear to God. I was like, you can't sit oh, near we were us. She had to sit alone in the theater mm. for Blair Witch by herself. I felt so bad afterwards. <laughs> Even as a kid, I was like, I think I've been in the same. Blair Witch, the Uptown. Rode my bike. A couple of neighborhood kids. Uh, Sangertown Square at the... Mm. We went to Uptown because they were a little more loosey-goosey with the being 17 back in the day. It's very true. They were just like, yeah, you kids got money? Please uh, come in. <laughs> uh, special segment of the pod. Shout out to... Uh, I'm calling this Sullivan Synergy. Uh, because Yo. I've... Yeah, because I've noticed a weird thing that's happened twice this week. Uh, mm. Earlier this week, I started the show The Boys on Amazon. Yes. Uh, and I put it up on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I would say that 95% of the responses I got were from people in your family. Whether yeah. it was your sister or your brother or your cousin. So shout out to all three of them. Mm-hmm. And then, yesterday, I don't know what happened. I was on YouTube or Reddit and I saw a video for it. I got in a hole watching clips from Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Specifically like when Hank gets uh, you know, uh, when he finds out about Walt and oh, they're in the yeah. garage and they're like having mm-hmm. that confrontation, I was like, oh, what a great scene. And then like within an hour, I'm on Twitter and your brother is talking about how he just today restarted watching Breaking Bad. I'm like, what is happening? Why am I like inside? Why are they inside my head? So, uh, The Boys and Breaking Bad. Sullivan season. How far did you get in The Boys, by the way? I was gonna uh, The Boys, I got like four or five episodes okay. in. I was going to finish the last two of season one, but I didn't get around to it yet. Yeah, yeah. I got I got in there. So many people are watching. It seemed like something all right to jump on. Um, it's all right. Just, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. I'm enjoying it. Good watch. All right, let's get into the 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 major news of the week, I guess. Mm. Uh, and let's start about, you know, we talked about the weather. Uh, since Saturday morning, uh, it's been raining. It feels <laughs> like. It's been raining that's for three true. days straight. That's quite true. I don't know if that's a bad omen. That that aligns perfectly mm. with the very first day of early voting that started in Nevada County, but that was Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. So I went out there Saturday morning. I don't know why I was motivated to go. Because it's your goddamn constitutional duty. It's the most important vote you cast in your life. Of course. The next one. Of course. But I just mean at that moment. Yeah. Why did I decide at 10 a.m. as it was opening on Saturday to go mm. to the MV location and go vote? I don't know. I thought mm. about it. I was like, it's probably not a good idea because a ton of people are going to have the same idea. I know it happened. Line's going to be wildly long, right? You woke up too early for your own good. I did wake up too early. Too for early, and then good. you're like, I got to do something. I'm going to vote. I got to do something. Well, you know what happened? I was watching mm-hmm. a soccer game, 
and there was a better soccer game on at 1230. Mm. It, was, it was like 9.50. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I don't want to burn myself out on yeah. soccer in this B-tier game, but yeah. I can just save it and watch the better Yeah, Manchester Chelsea's coming up at 12.30. I guess I, I can go vote now. I see. Uh, so I went down, and I did the early voting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll be honest. I was there for about, I was probably there for an hour and a half. Nice. Hour 40 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's not an indictment of the folks at MV who oh, I shouted out on Twitter and I thought did a really great job. It's a good setup they have over there because half of the time I was there, I was inside. Right? Well, it's nice that they've got the space. Big it's, space, It's a yeah. huge help for them. Um, you know, the process did take a little longer than mm-hmm. you're used to, especially anyone who's voted like me over the last like decade where you just walk in and you're done in like three seconds and you mm-hmm. walk out. You know, prepare yourself. I brought headphones and I brought like a rain jacket and I was, I was raring to go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, it took about an hour and a half. The process was a little longer. It's a little slower than I than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it's done. Uh, and according to all the news reports, uh, this is not an isolated incident. Uh, lines are going all the way out uh, at all three locations in Oneida County mm-hmm. for the last three days. All it's the country. Been, yeah. All the country. You see the lines everywhere in this country. Um, you know, I, a lot of people were saying, you know, again, I think it's a testament to how many people out there get out, who want to get out there and vote. I Everybody saw, wants to get out of the house. So yeah. go out there and wait in line. I will say I did not appreciate some encroachment that was happening mm. from some of these old folks mm-hmm. in the line. Listen, yeah, yeah. if you see me, well, this, is just, this is just for all folks out there. If you're in line behind somebody in this social distancing environment and you see somebody inching up away from you when the line isn't moving, that is not an invitation for you to also inch up closer. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm trying to... Mm-hmm facilitate more space mm-hmm. and you are not helping me yeah, right you're you not doing me any favors you um i'm good at getting my circle because <laughs> yeah. i'll encroach back and i can kind of like leer over i don't stepping. i don't have the full numbers but i've read somewhere uh, i want to say it was 53 million like <laughs> some outrageous number of votes crazy. already tallied love to see it uh, have you gone yet? Are you going to go this I haven't gone or? yet. I'm going to try to i know that it's there's going to be a bit of a wait so i'm going to try to finesse it like, I'm going to, yeah. I can, it's not hard for me if I'm out and about during the day to go swing by that direction and see mm-hmm. how busy it looks. So I'm just going to kind of go by every day and see if I can get a lull window. And then if I end up shooting myself in the foot and waiting a long time at the end of the week, so be it. But I'm going to see if I can get something going this week. Well, you know, who, the people I'm concerned about are people like my mom and my stepdad, mm-hmm. right? Who really want to go vote, right? Mm-hmm. And they're willing to wait. But I don't think it's super healthy for my mom to wait two hours outside in the rain. She's, mm. you know, she's not, the, you know, they're not the youngest folks. Not younger, yeah, for sure. So um, I don't want them to just wait until it gets nice out, which it might not. But well, I, they might I mean? be, because of where they live in there is a little bit more rural. I think it'll probably be easier for them to actually wait until election day. Because I'm sure yeah. whatever precinct they report to, like mm-hmm. wherever they go, is not going to be as busy as MV down in the middle of Utica. Like wherever their voting location is, has got to be a little more low traffic. If I were folks like them, I would just wait. Like you'll still be able to vote the day of too. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, I will say I'm glad that I went and did it. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's a gauge for folks out there if you want to do the math in your head. It took me about an hour and a half to vote. Mm-hmm. By the time I put my ballot in the machine, mm-hmm. it said my ballot was like number, I don't know, like 119, mm-hmm. right? So that's the kind of pace you're talking about, yeah, right? It, that's, that's what we're talking about, mm-hmm. especially now, right? Um, but yeah. I'm glad I got it over with. I'm glad that the, you know, the... I was thinking about this last night. I wish there was an option on the internet that I could sign on to that says, I have already voted 
So leave I would like to opt out of all political I've commercials. I've already voted. Yeah. Leave me alone. Yeah. You already got my vote. Whatever side it is, can I opt out leave of these commercials? I can't wait. I'm, I'm ready for it. Yeah, it'll be nice when the commercials are over. Did you see the uh, story this week about Alaska and Florida voters who are receiving threatening emails from uh, from apparently from the Iranian influence specialists, who they said it was from, uh, sure. turns out, uh, threatening people to vote for Trump or else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are currently registered as a Democrat, one of the emails that was obtained by the public uh, media in Alaska said. You're being registered as a Democrat, and we know that because mm-hmm. you have gained, we have gained access to the entire voting infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You will vote for Trump on election day, or we will come after you. Mm-hmm. Change your party affiliation to Republican to let us know you received our message, uh-huh. and we'll comply. Right. So that's the, the email. This to me, and uh, whatever, I get it. Uh, this to me is on the same level as Antifa getting bust in to destroy yes. East Dynasty Buffet. Yeah. The same kind of thing. Like, no, this isn't a real. It, yeah. I, it's wild, though. I mean, it's it's crazy what happens. I, I, get, I, just, I get scared for people who are not on the ball enough for sure. about it to be like, this is very for clearly. Sure. You got some, older, you know, some yeah. older folks who really be like, yeah. I, I got an email from the Shah. <laughs> I got an email uh, from the Ayatollah, and he said that I have to vote. You know, I dare not speak her name uh, lest I reap the wrath of conservative Twitter and social media, but uh, AOC was on uh, Twitter today mm. talking about the lines in New York, and she Killing gave a really game. captivating like discussion about, like, you know, this is a blue state, and mm-hmm. you don't hear as much complaints from people in blue states generally about voting stuff, mm-hmm. but it's not right for us to be waiting three hours to vote in the city of New York. This Should is never. unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 100%. So there's a lot of, you know, there is discussion being talked about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Big uh, time. You see a lot of people saying, I mean, this is that that is what the suppression looks like, the yeah. idea to discourage people. Because yeah. a lot of people either don't want to or can't wait that long in line. And, you know, a, a lot of people still working, but at least with some people, they've got more time. Imagine if everything's going full swing. People, like, a lot of people I know who are not working 40 hours a week could be working 40 hours a week if it was yeah. a different time right now. Mm-hmm. And... You know, so a lot of people just get discouraged, don't have the time to wait in that line. You want to uh, move on to some local gossip? Oh, always. Always, always. <laughs> All right. Always. A couple of local news this week. I have two for you. Uh, first one, uh, New York State suspended the liquor license of Breeze's Banquet and Event Center on Leland Avenue in Utica oh. for uh-huh. egregious violations of coronavirus-related regulations, according, mm. according to uh, spooky, spooky Hollywood ghosts. Anthony, uh, Andrew Cuomo. I know, we're all, I know we're all scared of him. Yes. Uh, the venue was hosting a wedding on September 4th that attended by about 150 guests, according to the Liquor Authority. Um, rules are only as good as enforcement. We have ramped up checks on bars and restaurants. Compliance has increased, creating a safer environment for everyone, Cuomo said in a statement. According to the New York State, tables were spaced less than six feet apart. Guests mingled and ordered drinks directly from the bar without, ordering, uh, without observing social distance. And about 50 guests danced mostly without masks. This is my favorite part of the whole story, though. The DJ made an announcement asking guests not to post pictures on social media because of fear of health department citations. And I just, in my head, I like this part because it's just like your favorite radio DJ, your favorite like wedding DJ, just like, yo, 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 everybody, what's up? Just a reminder, don't put any of this on Twitter, folks. We're just having a good time. Oh, man. <laughs> like, listen, listen, it's 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 mad real out there right now. Um, I got to tell you, like, as somebody as somebody in, in the business, I understand that entertainers are in a very tough spot. If you make your money doing weddings at functions, mm-hmm. I, I got some takes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, interesting. They, they'd already received multiple warnings from the state, uh, including one days before the event. So this is not like it wasn't seen coming, right, to a certain extent. I kind of understand the idea, though, like, 
you have to enforce some of these things, or else what's the point of even putting these? Well, not not for nothing. If you got your whole like local conservative talk radio station that you use to finance to buy this breezes thing. <laughs> And you're out here talking about law and order and, oh, obey the law and this and that. Well, that's the law, so obey the law. You know what I mean? It's The irony is not lost on me. Yeah. Uh, just like when Dippin' Donuts went down a couple weeks ago, the irony is not lost on me. <laughs> and who's, like, actually breaking the law and getting in trouble for it. So, I did wild to see. Like, yeah, just, I get it. It sucks. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the same. But just, just grow up. I, I can't grow up. Uh, more local news. Uh, well, downtown hospital news. Uh, this week, the lawsuit that had filed against the city of Utica's planning board and MVHS, uh, Health Systems, to stop the construction of the new downtown hospital was dismissed at the state Supreme Court on Thursday, October 2nd. Yeah. Uh, this was filed in May of 2019. Uh, I mean, I don't think this will mean we'll hear any less about the hospital, but, uh, a lot of folks essentially just saying, uh, we're happy that this sort of distraction is behind us and we're looking forward to right. going forward. Yeah, yeah. So, there you go. I don't have any I don't have any hot takes on this. Just Here's my thing. Like at this point, they've taken down all those buildings. They've started yeah. building. So now if you're still like cheerleading for this to be stopped, mm-hmm. uh, you really kind of showing your ass is just being a naysayer for the sake of yeah. being a naysayer at this point. Like I get it, maybe you didn't want it, but they've started it, so you got to finish it because that's what it is. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's already there. There's already like skeletons of buildings down there. It's going to be real ugly if that's just what it is. Going to leave it out there, yeah. you know. Um, all right, let's move uh, into the spookiest section of this week's podcast. Love we'll it. delve into Trump World. Say it. <laughs> I did not watch uh, the Leslie style sixty minute interview, although mm. apparently it did wild numbers. Of course, uh, did better than the Pumped NFL it for game for like ten straight days. Yeah, uh, did you watch any of him walking out? Yeah. Well, well, I'm not going to get too hardened. I thought he was a little soft skinned. I didn't think I didn't think this was as big of a story as people are making it. I was like, I'm not surprised he was like obstinate and walked out. Mm. Like, is it is it surprising? I don't know. Is it just that it's on camera and like is a bad look? I don't I don't know yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's it's to it's to it's because it doesn't surprise you and like you know it goes on and you mm. read about it, but like to sit there and look at it. Maybe it's it's not going to affect somebody like you who's looking up stories and covering this yeah. week to week, but like for that person who just sort of tunes in and watches the news like at the end of the week, you know what I mean? Like somebody, maybe like your mom who doesn't follow a story every day to day and week to week and follow it that tight, or a person like that putting on sixty minutes yeah. and being like, oh wow, like the compare and contrast is really what yeah. you what you sort of draw from it. Yeah, um, I think another thing a lot of people have talked about is sort of this idea of manterrupting. This idea that uh, <laughs> uh, this is the idea that social scientists suggest that men interrupt women thirty three percent more than they interrupt other men. That's for sure true. Yeah, but also, don't it doesn't need a silly name. I don't think you don't like manterrupting. That just seems like clickbait. <laughs> yeah. like we can talk about it without you giving it because I feel like yeah. giving it like a snappy name makes it a joke, right? Yeah. That's what happened to, you know, to a lot of things. Mansplaining, yeah. Well, here's one that's not a joke at all. Uh, by the time you guys hear this, we probably have a new Supreme Court judge uh, as the hypocrisy of Mitch McConnell and the GOP in full force as they plow through and push in Amy Comey Barrett to the Supreme Court. Probably by the time you hear this, they've said by about 7.30 tonight. Mm-hmm. Dark times. This is the darkest timeline. This is, the, this is my sliding door moment for darkest timeline. So when you guys look back on this in history... You'll go, when did this sliding door moment happen? Like, right here. Here it is. Today's the day. 10-26. Sliding doors time. Mm. Darkest timeline, starting today. That's oh, we've already been, we've already been <laughs> booming down this path, my friend. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like, what's his name? Morpheus. I'm just yeah. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, right, Neo. I got one more Trump thing for you this week. Uh, here's a great, uh, terrible Trump quote. Uh, he said... 
uh, this week that the in it yeah in front of his supporters in Florida that the coronavirus pandemic would end soon, and he accused uh, Joe Biden of overstating the health crisis to scare Americans into voting for him. He's essentially saying, well, this will stop once Joe Biden stops yelling at me about how I'm handling yeah. the coronavirus. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, I, it's hard to say now, right? By the time we do this next week, it will be the night... It's getting tense. It's getting tense, right? Um, you know, I, a lot of... Again, we've talked about it before. I don't feel good about it. I won't feel good about it until it's all over because nothing feels safe. Even then. Even then. Still got a long right? back period. You know, they can still do a lot of mm-hmm. damage between November and January, even if they lose. There is a... Did you, but there's a weird air of, like, something strange about it. Something... Just the way that the Trump campaign is going. I mean, they've talked about building a base on the goddamn moon this week. They uh, water on the moon. They water on the moon. Water and ice. Yeah, so... I, I don't know. Force, baby. I don't know. I... There's, I don't want to say that there's a feeling of like desperation coming from like Trump world. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, it's hope. You're confused. About I'm confused. Yeah, I am you're confused. You're confused. Yeah. That's genuinely, yeah. you're confused and, and cautious and superstitious about the hope because it's been a, it's been a tough run. All right. So I don't know how to frame this story. Okay. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thing. I, I was just—I was going to ask you if you had seen speaking about this and people going out and speaking. I don't know if you had seen any of Barack Obama over the weekend. Oh my god! So oh my he, god! He's going out to like these rallies and he's just loose, like sleeves rolled up. It seems yes. like he's two or three beers deep at a barbecue. Yeah. Just like laughing with a little bit of like incredulous, like I can't believe this is real. Just like sort of bombing yeah. on him, yeah. and it's been—it's been. It's been uh, uh, it's it's good to watch spitefully. I want to talk to Barack Obama about anything. He would be basketball. When you, when you always, <laughs> like, whenever you do your interviews, you talk about if you could have dinner. And yeah. You think about. I think you ask one person. If you Any person, one person. Uh, living or dead, who is not your relative. I always think about a group of three, but yeah. he's always in my group of three. Oh like always in that group of three. You know, I like to sit down and have dinner. With and him. that's one of those answers I tell people all the time. Like when, when I do that question, I'm like, you don't have to win this question. Like I'm not looking yeah, yeah. for you to be like you know. Even today, like with Dan, he's like, Gandhi. I'm like, well, sure, awesome, yep. How am I going to say no to Gandhi? Like, Gandhi, he doesn't eat very much, I suppose. Right? Like, <laughs> Gandhi, not a great guy. Uh, but Obama, you know, feels like too easy of an answer almost. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, who do you want to hang out with? Barack Obama. Okay. Mm-hmm. John Lennon. <laughs> well, John Lennon also not a great guy. Yeah, Whatever. yeah, but it's it's true, though. I mean, he's towards the top of that. That'd, that'd be a good dinner, good hang. Yeah. Uh, all um, right, so <laughs> I don't even know how to frame this story. Maybe my favorite story of the week. According to an exclusive report from earlier this week in the Wall Street Journal, the Department of Health and Human Services canceled a coronavirus vaccine advertising plan in which they would offer Santa Claus performers, along with Mrs. Claus and the elves, mind you, early access to a COVID-19 vaccine in exchange for promoting its benefits to the public. So the plan was to weaponize Santa Claus (laughs) to sell the coronavirus vaccine to the public in exchange for giving Santa Mm. early access to the coronavirus. Mm. (laughs) This story came out earlier this week. Plans would have cost $250 million in taxpayer funds, according to the journal, and was intended to defeat despair and, quote, inspire hope through TV, radio, online, and podcasts. You want to inspire hope, how about you take a couple of those dollars and give it to people that are going to, like, get evicted and can't put food on their table because of the coronavirus instead of giving $250 million to Santa. Uh, 
There's a quote from uh, Rick Irwin, the chairman of the Fraternal Order of Real Bearded Santas, which is a real thing. This was our greatest hope for Christmas 2020, and now it looks like that won't happen. So I hate to say it, folks. Christmas is canceled. Christmas is canceled. Canceled. We're punting on Christmas this year. We're doing uh, Halloween all the way through. Now I don't. I'm. I'm gonna, I'll be honest here. I don't have um, a Wall Street Journal uh, subscription, so I could only. I had to pull this up on a second source. I have read the Wall Street Journal article. Just don't put it in an incognito window. <laughs> but do yourself a favor and find the article because there's a moment in the article where they're reading from off of a tape. And it's really like if Santa was a gangster, it's like, well, whatever you can do for Santa, Santa's happy to do for you. It's like, oh my God, what is Sir. it? I'm like, what's happening? Sir. <laughs> what's going on? Sir. Uh, all right, let's see. Uh, oh, so here's something that I've heard a lot of people jokingly talk about on the internet as not being a thing anymore. Mm. Or people be like, whatever happened to murder hornets? Remember that? Remember that yeah, conversation? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, oh, well, guess what? Well, because uh, if they don't see it in their day-to-day life, then it's not real. Uh, as of yesterday, murder hornets are hoax. Washington State has officially destroyed its very first murder hornet nest in the United States. Uh, this sounds terrifying, by the way. I read yes. some of the stuff that they had to do about this. Uh, they had to trap and use dental floss to tie tracking devices to the giant hornet so they could find the nests. That sounds terrible. Yeah. If you need rope for bees, you're in trouble. <laughs> uh, the nest found near the city of uh, in the city of Blaine near the Canadian border is about the size of a basketball and contained an estimated 100 to 200 of these hornets. Crews investigated wearing uh, crews wearing thick protective suits vacuumed the insects from inside the cavity of a tree. So that's how they got them out. Uh, the suits prevented the hornets' six millimeter long stingers from hurting the workers. Check this out, by the way. They also wore face shields because the hornets, when they're trapped, can spit a painful venom into your eye. So apparently, besides their stingers, they can also spit the venom at you, mm. which is super. This is all great. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> uh, I mean, although they, I, it has said that they would potentially be a problem for humans. Uh, yes. The bigger issue is the problem they would cause to American bee populations. Because mm. they do... Nope, humans don't care. Doesn't <laughs> affect them. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't care. Humans do not care about the bees. No, we don't give a shit about the bees. Um, okay, so uh, I've been sort of calling this... I haven't called this segment anything recently. Uh, I've sort of talked about it. These weird stories where I don't support what the people are doing, but I support the energy that they're doing it with. Uh-huh. Uh, so I guess I'm sort of calling it Big Energy is the name of this, this section. Um an Iowa man earlier this week uh, got in trouble for stealing an election sign uh, from off the porch of his his neighbors. Mm-hmm. Uh, shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that. Uh, I get it, but you shouldn't. It garnered him about three sentences in the third page of his small local news ta- newspaper. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> he was also caught later this week for stealing every copy he could find of this newspaper to cover up the story in his local news sector. Tremendous. <laughs> just, just driving around. Tremendous. Like, hey, you got any copies of the whatever the Dixon County News? Were you going to steal, like, 2,500 newspapers? <laughs> oh, man. I didn't know that that's, like, a thing. You, you get that at the paper, local paper, if you steal somebody's... Election sign, you steal their Joe Biden sign, I guess. It depends. Yeah, it depends what kind of stories they're running, how much space they got in the paper. This is kind of an offhand question. I was thinking about this earlier. Because uh, my mom asked me this question. I didn't have an answer for it. She's like, how come I see so many more Trump signs than Biden signs? And I was just like, 
I was like, I don't know, how come you don't see many people wearing Biden t-shirts, but you see tons of Trump t-shirts? I think it's a personality thing. Yeah, I mean, it's not a cult, um, so, like, I don't know, like, I was driving yesterday out up in, like, Holland Pat Barneveld area, and, I mean, there were houses with, like, flags of Trump dressed as Rambo, putting, like, folks in, like, submission holes with guns, and that's, like, culty behavior. Sure, sure. Um, I gotta say, I don't, maybe the numbers, pound for pound, it depends, it depends where you are and where you live, you know what I mean? Like, so, if you're out driving around, like, a country area, you're gonna see a lot of Trump stuff, but I've been seeing a ton of Biden stuff coming up in the last, like, three to four weeks. Yeah. Out of balancing out, but it's a, a lot of it's about where you go, but it's also yeah, I think probably about the type of person. Uh, yeah, I just wonder because I feel like cause I think about it from my perspective as I always would in this case, right? Sure. Uh, you know, I'm certainly voting for Joe Biden. I already did vote for Joe Biden, right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't wear a Joe Biden T-shirt though. No. I wouldn't wear an Obama T-shirt. It's just not no. something. Why would I? It's not like a thing that I would think no. to do, right? But I guess that's not the mentality of like. An Obama supporter a, or a Biden supporter. It's like it's like a team sport. It's like a yeah. mascot. It's a god emperor. Like it's a you know it's the yeah. whole. Yeah. Like you see you. like cartoon style. Look, it's more over the top than like some sports team stuff. Yeah. So. Uh, hey, speaking of sports team stuff, uh, I'm gonna yes. do uh, it's a great great segue. I have a new segment for this week. It's called Welcome to the Resistance. And sports it's the, team stuff. Yeah. It's called Welcome to the Resistance, and it's the sports edition right off the bat. Uh, so welcome to the resistance this week, J- Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. Uh, earlier this week, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck were on the broadcast for a Fox. Uh, These guys are football commentators. Football commentators. For, yeah, for a Sunday football game, uh, and it looks like I want to say the game was between the Tampa Bay uh, Bucks and somebody else. And Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were heard on a hot mic degrading the idea of having flyovers. At sports games, love to see it. This is this is the love quote. To see it. This is the quote. Aikman, it's a lot of jet fuel just to do a little flyover. Joe Buck, that's your hard-earned money and your tax dollars at work, pal. <laughs> Aikman, well, I'll tell you what, that stuff ain't happening under a Kamala Biden ticket. I'll tell you right now, partner. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> so, so somebody leaked this uh, of, Aik- of Troy Aikman and Joe Buck just having this chat. I kind of feel bad for them because it, this wasn't like they came back from TV and they were talking about it and they got caught like Tom Brenneman did when he yeah, said yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is like somebody leaked their audio from commercial. Or just them hanging yeah. out. Which yeah. is kind of a shitty thing to do. Big time. Uh, but I thought Big this time. was hilarious. I also tough, It's tough for them because they participate in the NFL sphere. I also love that Troy Aikman apparently refers to Joe Buck as partner in like mm-hmm. real life. Like <laughs> off the just camera. seems like the type of guy who calls folks partner. He's a Texas guy like uh, that. So uh, Troy Aikman, Joe Buck, welcome to the resistance. Also it's welcome so to the resistance this week. Uh, Arizona Cardinals wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. My favorite headline of the week. Arizona uh, Arizona Trump supporters accused DeAndre Hopkins of being cooler than previously realized. Uh, <laughs> earlier this week, uh, on the way to a Sunday game uh, in Phoenix, Arizona Cardinals wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins drove by a group of Donald Trump supporters who were part of a highway caravan and gave them double middle fingers, which in turn makes him extremely cool. <laughs> My favorite headline. Uh, and it was just a lot of people like posting pictures of him being like, NFL, suspend this man. Uh, in the game, he went on to have 10 receptions for 103 yards and a touchdown in an Arizona win over Seattle. So DeAndre Hopkins, also cooler than previously thought. Uh, all right, so that's all I had for resistance Twitter this week, I guess. I have one last story, which I didn't have anywhere else to put. Uh, earlier this week, uh, Twitter turned on Chris Pratt, it seems. Uh, during a conversation about which of the Hollywood Chris's, 
Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pratt, Chris Evans, and who am I forgetting? Chris Pine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter seemingly decided that Chris Pratt is the worst of all of the Chris's. Fair take. Uh, pretty fair take. Uh, I My question for you is, Chris Pine's the big winner here, right? Yeah, it's come up for <laughs> It's a huge come up for Chris Pine. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely always been the fourth in terms of credibility, not like popularity. I, I, it's reasonable. I don't know. He was good and into the woods. That's all I'm saying. Mm. That's all I got. Uh, I didn't... What did you think about all the other like uh, Marvel U celebs popping up on Twitter to defend... Uh, I didn't really, and I tried not to. Uh, the only thing I did think was interesting, I saw the take where it's like, it's funny that, like, because this wasn't even a real thing. Nobody said anything. You just lost a, a poll where people yeah. voted, and everybody jumped up. But, like, nobody was jumping up when it was all sorts of other people. Like, when, you know, Brie Larson, yeah, uh, Elizabeth Olsen, when John Boyega, even though Marvel and Star Wars are a little different still. But, mm-hmm. like, all that, nobody was jumping up to defend those people when, like, real things were happening. Yeah. And people were talking crazy about them on the internet. But now, because Chris Pratt got his feelings hurt. Like, sorry, bro, if you, you, you're a crybaby. <laughs> yeah. Just a crybaby. It's, uh, I'm sure Chris Pratt will be fine. He, he'll go home with all his, his money in his You would have thought. But he shook, <laughs> got his publicist out here calling people. Can you send a tweet out for Chris? My God. Uh, I guess this is our Internet Remains Undefeated section for the week. Oh, the thinnest skins. <laughs> all right. Uh, you know who doesn't have a thin skin and who has a really interesting and cool point of view? Wonderful our- skin. Awesome skin, wonderful skin. <laughs> is our good friend uh, Dan Rudolph. Uh, Dan Great has, friend. yeah, Dan has been doing uh, those juggling workshops we've talked about at Handshake every Wednesday for the last few weeks. If you've been concerned that you missed the first couple weeks, now you can't go. He will uh, super easy to jump right back in. Yeah, yeah. He will tell you those fears are unfounded. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have a great conversation about uh, about education, about his travels around the world, about uh, juggling, about mental health. Uh, great conversation. Uh, so we're joined by our good friend Dan Rudolph. now yes yes hey what's going on buddy not much how are you doing oh i'm doing uh i'm doing pretty good um i just need to warn you before we get started here because i'm bad at technology i give this um this disclaimer to everybody we are actually recording right now because i don't know how to do any of the, the tech changeover um but for folks who don't know i'm talking of course with our good friend dan rudolph uh dan I don't want to make things awkward immediately, um, <laughs> but you and I go way, 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 way back. And I right. feel like I should share this story because it's Halloween time and we're getting into spooky season. And I don't even know if you'll remember this because you you might have been, you're a little bit younger than me. Um, I was close friends with your sister and a group of friends growing up and we all went to school together. Right. And I remember years and years and years ago, I must have been in elementary school and uh, we rented a movie to watch at your house when we were kids. And we watched, it was The Shining. And all the kids who were there were talking mad guff, just being like, oh, this movie's not going to be scary. This movie's going <laughs> to suck, blah, blah, blah. And we sat there in your house, on uh, your old house in South Utica, for two hours, silent. Not a person. <laughs> Nobody said anything. We were not prepared for what we were uh, for what we were seeing. So I blame your house and your parents for allowing us to watch The Shining. So thanks a lot to the Rudolphs. <laughs> hey, we enabled you to experience a classic. A classic yeah. film. That's a classic. The Shining. Um, 
So Dan, it's a real pleasure to have you on. I know we've talked a little bit about this in the past, uh, having you come on the show, and I'm sorry it took so long. Um, but for folks who don't know, uh, you have been involved with, uh, we've been doing juggling classes down at Handshake City since early, uh, late September? We, yeah, going into our sixth week now, so yeah. Six week. Uh, and how has the response been so far from people in the community? Have you got a chance to fee- uh, reach out with people in the community and talk to them? or? Yeah, we've got a core group of about eight to 10 people, and it's been awesome just kind of building that sense of community within the group. And um, it's an inherently inclusive group. And, you know, so some people have dropped in for one session, some people have stayed for the whole duration. Um, no, and the feedback has been wonderful, you know, just awesome. a, a place for people to play together, to, to awesome. laugh, to joke, and some people come just for the socialization. So they'll be juggling and chatting about what they did over the week. And it's just a safe space for people to come together and to try something new, um, you know, without having to worry about being judged or evaluated mm-hmm. by other people. Awesome. And I'm really glad you said that because, you know, my my good friend, uh, Justin from Maiden Utica, he, I know he's come to a bunch of sessions and he has hassled me about coming down. And I've always felt weird because I'm like, well, I missed the first couple. Now I'm going to feel like an idiot if I walk in there. And you're implying that that's not a big deal at all. No, no, no. no. It's, it's self-paced. And what we do is we encourage people that have been there for sessions prior to teach the new people. So they mm-hmm. shift from becoming the students to the teachers. And um <laughs> you know, that really helps them to reflect on and and kind of review what they've practiced and also gives them that self-confidence of teaching something, which is, you know, so valuable. Awesome. Uh, Dan, I want to get into the juggling and a lot of the stuff that you've been involved in, but uh, you haven't been on the show before. So we typically do this in three sort of sections. So our first section is so folks can get a little bit of background about you as a person. So uh, Dan, let's start, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, right. Dan, where were you born? Where were you raised? Right where I'm sitting in this house right? and the same house that you watched The Shining in, uh, which is in <laughs> South Utica. Um, yeah, I went to Jones. I went to Hughes and then Jones and mm-hmm. then Bonavent oh, yeah. Middle School and Proctor High School. So you're a product, a straight Utica City School District product. Yes, all day, every day. <laughs> uh, as somebody, you know, I've I've been on the show many times. I work in education. Uh, I've been very, very positive about my experience uh, in the Utica School District growing up and, and what it taught me. What was your experience? Did you enjoy Utica School District being in a big public school district like this growing up? It's an interesting question because I'm currently working um towards creating alternative forms of education Mm -hmm. with the understanding that formal education is not in the best place and it needs to be drastically changed. Mm -hmm. But from a human standpoint, I think through the Utica School District, I learned so much about myself and about people Mm -hmm. that were different from me. Um, So I remember going to Jones where it was very much, you know, one demographic of people and then going to Donovan, the yeah. first day at school, I saw a fist fight, the first fist fight I've seen in my life. And um, so it was a great learning, you know, from that first day of Donovan to graduating from Proctor. Um, you know, it's just, something that, well, it's something that teachers and I have talked about a lot, you know, and I've said it for many years, you know, moving to Brooklyn and going to college in New York City, hmm. you know, Utica, Donovan, Proctor really prepared me for what like a major metropolitan city was going to look like in terms of demographics. I was never 
confused or surprised by anything I saw because I thought Proctor did a great job. I want to go back to something you said, though, because it's something teacher friends and I have talked about many times over the years, you know, is, you know, we're, we're stuck with this curriculum that we're given, you know, and, and Common Core, you know, got a really bad rep right off the bat, right when it happened. And a lot of that is because people are struggle to come to terms with change, right? Mm -hmm. And we talk about, you know, different concepts of how to teach people history. Like what are the ways that people can understand history? We talk about recurring themes and recurring ideologies, but, you know, I do wonder sometimes as a teacher, if we are preparing kids for the world outside in a totally accurate way, what's something that you would like to see more focus put on in education today that you don't feel like we're, we're harnessing enough? Right. I think learning needs to be transdisciplinary, which I think project-based learning is something that schools are trying to do. But from my perspective, still, it's not hitting the mark. Mm -hmm. Um, Learning needs to be experiential. Uh, Learning needs to honor multiple intelligences. Um, At this point, a lot of intelligences aren't honored in the school system. We're somebody who's more of a bodily kinesthetic or somebody who likes to learn with their body or to learn through other creative means aren't given enough space or evaluated accordingly. Um, Learning needs to be safe. Like now in our system, it's inherently... Um, an evaluative system where you're always being judged. Um, you know, what did you score on your last test? What did you get on the quiz? So it's, it needs to be a, a safe place where there's no evaluation or evaluation is peer-to-peer or self-driven. Um, there, I could go on and on. There are a lot. No, of- no, it's, it's interesting because, you know, uh, you know, I just recently got my graduate, uh, my, my master's degree from, from Utica College in, in education. And it's funny a large amount of what we talk about in modern education is talking about differentiated instruction, finding ways to, you know, exemplify small group learning because kids aren't interacting in small groups and not learning the general communication that exists, especially in this internet driven. I mean, we're on a zoom call right now. We live in the, we're in the middle of a pandemic. This is like zoom 101. Like this is all the stuff that's going on. And you know, I even look at my nieces and nephews, you know, and I love them to death and they're really funny and they're really smart, but they communicate only in internet lingo, like memes. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't have communication skills. And I wonder sometimes, is that something that we are failing as educators to do is allow kids the opportunity to express themselves and to feel comfortable communicating uh, with that own personality and with themselves? Totally. And, and what's happening now is, I mean, the school and, and a lot of systems are inherently hierarchical. So kids are waiting for somebody else to guide them. Um, from my perspective, it's, it's almost learned disembodiment, mm-hmm. where you can't listen to what your body is telling you. Instead, you have to listen to what the other person, the teacher or the curriculum is expecting of you, even though that might not be aligned with your abilities your interests, um, it might not be what you're in the mood for. Uh, so I just think, yeah, a lot of what you're saying, like that communication, how to express yourself. For me, yeah. the core of that is self-awareness. Um, and again, this is all from my perspective. And this of course. is not only focused on US schools. I've spent time in formal schools in rural Thailand and Beijing in rural India and in Germany. And it's the same story in all of these places. Um, kids are not 
you know, for me, the core of education should be developing self-awareness, understanding yourself, understanding your gifts and what makes you happy. And um, I've come to the point now where I almost feel that formal schooling is counterproductive, mm. where it's actually creating the opposite effects that it claims as its mission. So I'm so curious, when you got to the end of your time in high school, and were you interested in going to college? Did you want to go to college? Or were you already sort of like, I'm, I'm done here? Funny, my, uh, my, I guess my aspirations when I was in, in high school was to become a garbage collector, or a professional poker player. Uh, so Both of college, which I've thought about. <laughs> right, right. So college was not in my, uh, in my yeah. card, but my mother forced me to go to college, which I think, you know, ultimately was a, a good choice. It's a, it's a generational thing because your mom and my mom are in the same sort of generational background. And I think it's a, it's a question I've talked about, you know, a million times with kids. You know, we were told growing up in okay. a system. We got my mother here. Come on. Oh, there she is. Oh, hi, Mrs. Hi, Rudolph. It's good to see you. How I was just talking. Oh, I'm I'm enjoying uh, a wonderful conversation with your son. Obviously, uh, other than that, I'm here, my little baby. Uh, and I was telling him that we watched The Shining at your house when we were kids, and it traumatized us. <laughs> if you survived me and I didn't traumatize you, then uh... oh no, you were the best part. That was my favorite part of coming to visit you guys. Uh, no, my I guess my question for you is. No, so, Dan, I guess what's interesting to me is so, you know, you do the college, you know, I, I lost my train. I thought there for a second uh, with the college thing. You know, I talk to a lot of my students about it. And I think what's scary is the idea that they don't have some concept about what they want to do. And they're afraid that if they don't have this idea of what they have to do, they're behind the eight ball. And I used to try and tell them, I was like, look, I didn't even decide I wanted to be a teacher until after I had dropped out of college and joined a punk band and then quit the punk band and then moved to New York and waited tables and was a big mess. And then finally, you know, things kind of happened. I wouldn't go so far as to say by accident, but I let things play out. And this was the path that I ended up following down. Right. And I, I don't regret those decisions. I don't regret, you know, taking some years off to find myself and be a more self-centered person because of it. But I think that's a scary thing for a lot of parents and for a lot of kids to, to come around to, especially, with the education we have growing up. Yeah, and, and school encourages that linear frame of thinking. Whereas yeah. if you do A, then you do B, then you do C. Like you go to high school, then you go to college, then you get a job, then you have a family. But in reality, life is nonlinear. You don't know the impact of your actions. It's impossible to know the impact of your action. I think Einstein said that about the atomic bomb. Yeah. You know, it's impossible mm -hmm. to know the impacts of your action. <laughs> <laughs> but school or our lives are designed in a way where we have to know that next step and it has to be clean. It doesn't fit reality. Um, and that's a core concept in systems thinking to nonlinearity and, and emergence and, you know, the balance between structure and chaos. And for me, education spaces, I think we can learn a lot from nature yeah. and take a lot of those principles that are inherent in nature and create educational or learning spaces based on those principles. Um, well, that's 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 really awesome. I think it's really cool. Uh, and you mentioned, and I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about this because one of the things I find so fascinating is you have seen. You have a bit of a. I wouldn't know so far as to call it wonderlust, 
but you seem to have this, uh, you, you know, you, you mentioned it, you've been to India, you've been to Beijing, you've been to Thailand, you've been to Germany. Where was the calling? Like, when did you decide that you wanted to sort of look around and see what else there was to offer outside of just what's around us? So I was a teacher assistant working at um, a Utica school district school, and I was changing five-year-old diapers day yep. in and day out. It was a developmentally challenged kindergarten class. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I wasn't making much money. I was, you know, it wasn't what I was passionate about. And um, it, it, there didn't see, there didn't seem to be a next step in mind that excited me. Mm -hmm. um, so I decided to join the Peace Corps, uh, really? not out of a particular passion or um, it was more out of a curiosity and mm -hmm. almost a sense of escape. Like I want to get out of this situation I'm in and open and unexpectedly it opened up my perspective. It shattered my identity of who I thought I was and just led to everything else that is still unfolding and uh, and just for some context, um, how long ago did you was this that you joined the Peace Corps initially? Do you this remember what year this was? The beginning of two thousand and twelve. Okay, so oh, all right. So this has been this is a decent amount of time ago, a while ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what was that? Where was the first place you went with Peace Corps? Where's the first place you visited? Thailand. So I, I Thailand. Yeah. So the Peace Corps, you sign up for a twenty-seven month commitment, and really? I extended that. Um, and added on another 13 months. So I was in Thailand for 40 months with wow. the Peace Corps. And it was incredible. The first day I got there, I um, was picked up by my initial host family. Yeah. And they didn't speak any English. Mm. And I didn't speak any Thai. So we're just sitting in the car like, yeah, you know. And um, the guy turns around and says, whiskey. I was like, right, yeah, sure, you know, but it was really um, interesting how we built a relationship without words. And that that first day we um, constructed a dresser or a place for me to hang my clothes. So together we, we did this um, thing without words. And, and from really? that, we like really, you know, started to cultivate a relationship. And do you do you speak any now that you've spent time there? You spent 40 months. So can you speak it in, at all? Yeah, when I left, I tested out at advanced mid, wow. which is one step below fluency. But really? Peace Corps does a really yeah. awesome job with language training. Yeah. And, well, it's uh, one of the things they always told us in high school, honestly, was, you know, you, we can teach you Spanish, but you're not going to learn unless you go and actually uh, engross yourself in right. the culture. You need to sort of be around it all the time where you don't have an option other than to uh, to come to terms with it. And that really helps because even now, unless I was in New York working in a restaurant, my Spanish is really poor unless you want me to ask for a salad for your table. That's about it. That's all I ever really learned. <laughs> Do you know I mean? Exactly. And I think this is a good example of what I feel learning in school should be like. I took yeah. four years of Italian in high school. At the end of that, I couldn't speak any Italian. When I went to the Peace Corps or the same yeah. when I went to India, when I went to China, in three months, I could speak and communicate in that language, wow! Um, which was incredible. I left high school thinking I wasn't a good language learner, but when it was practical, when it was relevant, when that support was there, I, I learned it was the same with Chinese and Hindi. In three months after, you know, focused practice, which was natural and fun, I could speak that language. Um, and 
yeah, I think that's from the practical, experiential, hands-on, um, you know, way. Now, when you were time. when you were doing the Peace Corps in 2012, were you still were you living in Utica and just sort of traveling to different places, or were you stationed in different places? Were you sort of nomadic? I'm so curious how that sort of worked for you. When I got there. Well, just so you were you in Utica before you left to go to Thailand? Did you go right from like from Utica to Thailand, essentially? That was the first time I left the country besides a weekend trip to Canada. Um, But yeah, did you did you come back in between trips or did you go straight from Thailand to India to Beijing to Germany? for? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, let's see. In between Thailand, I I came home like once a year. Um, Once a year. That's I didn't come home. I, I was gone for two and a half years consecutively. Mm-hmm. Um, but prior to going to India, I was in Utica for like eight months. Um, mm. So it's been, yeah, it kind of usually once a year I'd pop in. Um, but yeah, it, it's. So you did. Not- so you, I guess my question was really, you know, you were still seeing your family. You still were in contact with everybody. You weren't just like oh, totally. gone, right? Yeah. Totally. And with Skype and Zoom, like. Yeah, of course relatively easy to stay connected you know this is a, this might be a tough question so if you don't have an answer that's okay what's what did you think was the general impression that other countries had of you as an american and were they did were they surprised or were they did they find you to be different than they expected americans to to what they expected yeah um it's interesting i mean this would look different in different countries certainly but generally people were welcoming and curious and and, Mm -hmm. you know they saw me as a human they weren't Mm -hmm. like oh you're american you're bad but they were curious and and but i did get a lot of the comments like because a lot of people get their news about america or they develop their perception about america Mm -hmm. through what is on the mainstream news um so i did get that comment a lot like oh, I didn't expect you to be an American. Or some people even said like, oh, I thought you were French or, um, you know, European. I, I would never have guessed you're an American. Um, so I do think, yeah, the perception of Americans is um, not too high in different countries. And that's also yeah. one of the, the missions of the Peace Corps is to, you know, build those relationships and to, yeah. you know, kind of show the human nature. I mean, I'm a history major, so I'm I'm very familiar to why many of these countries look at us and they're like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not so I sure about this guy. I don't know about <laughs> these guys over here. Uh, is there any, if there was a place that you could go back to that you've already been to, what's your number one spot you'd love to go back to? Sure. This is this question's always hard. Um, yeah. Because you know each place has their unique charm. I intend to go back to um, Thailand and India. I guess China, awesome. not as much. I don't feel as called. Sure. Thailand, the, the fact that I have very close um, relationships and friendships and, and there's an older woman who uh, was like my mother there, that's, that's sure. sick. So I, I feel called mm. to go back there and kind of honor right. my duty as a, a surrogate son. Um, but India, on a personal level, I feel most connected to India. Um, mm. It's so vibrant and there's so much happening at this moment, especially. And also there's so much of the country that I didn't get a chance to see. So I think India would be the country I'm most called to return to. Now, uh, I'd like to pull it full circle here for a second. Um, sure. The juggling courses you're doing, 
Where did you sort of pick up the juggling along the way? Was that something that was happening even before you were in the Peace Corps or did you pick it up while you were out of the country? Where did that sort of first find its way into your life? Mm, um, so there's an a interesting story. I first learned to juggle three balls in my kitchen in Thailand, just randomly okay. like, I'm gonna huh. learn something new today. And I uh, locked myself in the kitchen, put music on and three hours later I could juggle those three balls. Um, that randomly, so this is going to be next step uh, in China. Um, there was a group of old men, like 65 retired men um, that would congregate every day in the same spot. And they would have these sticks that they would juggle. Oh, yeah. Okay. Flower sticks. And um, I was intrigued. So I approached them one day and asked them like, hey, I'm curious. I would love to uh, learn and uh, practice with you guys. And they said, come back tomorrow. They made me my own set of sticks and I stayed with awesome. this group of older gentlemen for close to two months and practiced with them every day. And then randomly they disappeared and I never saw them again. Um, so these guys really influenced me a lot. Uh, and then in India, I um, was with kids one day and randomly picked up three rocks and started juggling them. Unexpected, like I hadn't juggled in a long time with the the three objects and the kids were so excited they're like oh my goodness like that's incredible <laughs> so that like sparked something in me like okay this is simple but yeah can have very powerful impacts and um later in my journey in india i, I met a mentor of sorts and i approached him uh, to go study with him and he encouraged me to go to brazil mm. and to join a circus um, wow. which at the first time I heard it I was a little bit offended because I wanted to spend right. time with this guy right. and study with him and, and then I gave it a day and thought about it and intuitively and intellectually it made complete sense um, and he's the one that kind of encouraged me to pursue ways to turn this into a livelihood or to mm -hmm. turn this into a career uh, because it's something that makes me happy it makes me healthy and it encourages other people to be happy and healthy um, yeah. I think that's really cool. And, you know, I'm, it's not exactly the same thing. Certainly not. But, you know, I, I always go back to, you know, working in New York and living in, I was living in Brooklyn and I was working in Manhattan and the people I worked with, you know, I worked in a big, giant, fancy tourist. It's called Carmine's. I don't know why I'm pretending. People know what it is. I've talked about it before. Anyhow, a great restaurant. I love working there. And, you know, a lot of the staff, Ecuadorian, Colombian, Spanish, uh, all mostly Latino or white actors, you know, and this one thing that sort of always connected us was that, you know, I, I love soccer. I'm a big soccer fan, you know, and just simply going out Tuesdays and Thursdays and playing soccer with these boys down at the park, you learned a lot. I learned more Spanish. I learned more about soccer. I learned more about myself and they were so accepting of me and not just like, get out of here, gringo, you suck at this, which they did the first day, but they were just kind of giving me a hard time. <laughs> but like those sort of things, little like, soccer was the the bridge you know what I mean? the bridge that brought us into this sort of connection that made me understand what their life was about more than i than i had previously and i and i sort of wonder is juggling been kind of like a bridge to help you connect with people in that way yeah totally and what you just shared is something that excites me very much yeah. and like <laughs> people have all these grand solutions for solving climate change, for solving race issues, for solving gender inequality. Um, and they do things that are very focused on that only. Yeah. Um, 
for me, it's these simple things like playing soccer together, cooking together, mm-hmm. uh, sharing awesome. skills, um, dancing together, singing, juggling. You know, for me, it's the relationships and the understanding that is developed doing these simple things that has the potential to solve those complex problems mm-hmm. where you really get to know yourself and you really get to know other people. And um, there's a quote that I love, you know, when you travel by yourself, you learn the most about yourself. When you travel with other people, you learn the most about them. So seeing that act of playing soccer as traveling or that act of juggling together as traveling, it's a way that I think builds compassion, builds understanding, which is ultimately needed for solving these complex problems. Love that, that's beautiful. Uh, Dan, before we get into the last section here, uh, where can people reach out if they want more information about uh, the juggling class or if they want to get in touch with you personally? Sure. So my email is Dan Rudolph, R-U-D-O-L-P-H, 108 at gmail.com. Uh, also, we started a meditation night at the other side, which mm-hmm. is across from the uptown, and that is 6 p.m. on Monday. And we have a an exciting poetry offering that we're going to be launching in the next week awesome. or so, which I'll, I'll keep you posted on as that. Are you going to be down there tonight? Um, tonight. Yes. Tonight at the other yeah. side. Yeah. Pe- people Monday. won't be able to hear us, but they won't be able to hear it by the time this comes up because it comes out tomorrow. But uh, it's funny because actually I live right around the corner from, uh, from there. I live up on uh, right in South Utica. So I think I drove by there last Monday and I was like, what's going on over here? What is this? Is he- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I guess one more question before I get into our last section you know, you've been working with, you know, you're working with the other side. You've been working with us at Handshake City. Uh, I've read a little bit on your Facebook. You're doing this Movent project, and I don't know as much about that. But it does seem like you're, you know, reaching out and facilitating relationships with a lot of different places in the community, which is really smart. Has the community been, you know, accepting of all this stuff? Have they been gracious and with everything? Yes, totally. Um, and there's so that's what excites me about Utica. Is there's so yeah. many exciting things happening. I guess what my vision is, how do we connect all of these things? So how do we get the yoga people to juggle with the juggling people? Or how do we get the Utica dance people to join in with the jewelry making people? And my vision is a community center that invites all of those people to come together and and really merge and share these gifts and skills with each other. You know, Utica is weird like that. Um, There are so many people who are doing so many cool things and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had going back with Justin from Maiden Utica going back like six, seven years now, you know, five, six years now, and just being like, I wish there was a way that this was all so much more streamlined. And it's just so hard because everyone's doing their own thing. And if there was just a way to make it so much more streamlined, I think it takes a little bit of ego check from people too sometimes, like to want to not keep doing their own thing and just like be part of a larger collective. But, um, I'd like to see more people do that because there's a lot of really cool stuff and a lot of really cool people doing cool stuff in this town. And I just wish we had more of a platform for all of it. Totally. And, and, and like you said, a space that has no expectation or linear outcome, but just a space yeah. that people can come to be, you know, and not, yeah. not transactional, like mm-hmm. you pay me and you get this, but yeah. a, a space for transformational gatherings. You know, and not for and not for nothing, you know, I've been so lucky to be involved with the Handshake City project for the last five years, just simply because of all the people who come and stop and chat us up afterwards or at the events and just say, thank you for giving us this place that allows us to do whatever, whether it's yoga or, and it's right. been one of the great joys of my life. 
since coming back to Utica. Um, Dan, I've kept you for about half an hour here. I told you we'd leave you earlier than this. Uh, do you have a quick, do you have a round, uh, do you have time for a quick round of lightning round questions before we close up here today? Sure, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Lightning round questions. All right. So these are the same five or six questions we ask pretty much everyone who's been on the podcast. I do have one. Uh, I don't know if you're a Halloween guy at all. I guess my question before we get to it is, do you have a costume picked out this year if you're doing Halloween? Or do you have a particular Halloween candy that you feel the strongest about? Oof. Um, huh. well, <laughs> these aren't the lightning round questions, right? These are not the lightning round questions. Okay, so I, could, I don't have to be lightning Um, so costume I don't have picked out yet. Um, so no to that one. No, I'll yeah. think about that. A favorite candy. Um, goodness, favorite candy. I'd say Reese's Cups. I haven't had a Reese's Cup in years, but I really Love enjoyed it. that that candy. We um we talked about this last week. There was a 538 poll that Nate Silver did a couple of years ago, and it was ranking uh, all the candies. It was like 86 <laughs> different candies. And what they did is they put them in a one-to-one matchup. So it would oh, be okay. like Reese's Peanut Butter Cup versus Snickers, right? And you decide which one you like better. And the winner was whoever had the highest percentage of wins. The Reese's Peanut Butter Cup is number one at 84%. So 84% of people would take a Reese's peanut butter cup over anything else, right? Like over any other item. I am a fan of Gooden Plenty's. I was told that they are the worst candy (laughs) with a 16% win percentage because that's the kind of guy that I am. Uh, Dan, let's get into these lightning round questions. These are the same five or six questions we ask everybody who's been on the show. Uh, The first question is this, what was your first automobile? My mother's 16-year-old caravan, my first and only automobile. You still got it? Years. <laughs> uh, well, you may or may not have taken the caravan to see it. What was your first live music event? Oh, goodness. This would probably be the Jungle Book when they came to Jones <laughs> School. And I must have been in third grade and they had the live Jungle Book musical, which was awesome. Yes. I would go uh, back and see it today. When you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee if you take your coffee? Um, I take it dark black. Um, and it's my, my father makes coffee every morning before he goes to work. So I drink whatever's left in the pot. So you're not picky about it in general. <laughs> I like espresso, though. If I'm at a cafe, I'll get an espresso. Uh, this is a tough, our toughest question. So if you want a minute on this one, it's okay. If you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your relative, who would it be and why? Wow, that's a great question. Um, living or dead, that's not my relative. Probably Gandhi. Gandhi. I, I like that guy, he's an interesting <laughs> guy. Um, yeah, I'd be curious, probably wouldn't be too good of a dinner. Probably would be fast. No, it'd be very quick, very quick dinner. <laughs> um, what's one category that if you were on the show Jeopardy, you feel like you would dominate more than any other category. Oh, goodness. I, I'm terrible at Jeopardy. Um, well, at. well, I guess what's uh, your dream category? Like, what's the category that shows up? You're like, oh, my God, yes. Right. Uh, maybe, um, you know, states in India. States or, in India. <laughs> something like that, like, yeah. like provinces of India or provinces of one of the countries uh. I've lived in that most uh, people don't really know much about. Uh, give me one book, 
album, movie, or television show that you are currently reading, listening to, or watching? Mm, I just watched The Boys. Uh, season you know one what? of The Boys on Amazon Prime. I just finished the first season, actually. I just... That was, because I'm watching the Marvel series. I'm going yeah. through the whole series of Marvel from beginning. It's a chronological, yeah. and I'm on yeah, yeah, of course. 14, and I've taken a pause, and my buddy said, you got to watch The Boys. And I... uh, Awesome. I was sort of holding off on it because a lot of people I know were like, oh, you got to go watch it. You got to go watch it, which is usually a death knell for me to ever watch anything when a million people are like, please go watch it. That's why I've still never seen Game of Thrones. Um, but I, I'm really enjoying the boys. It's really funny. I think Carl Urban's doing great work. Oh, my cat is bothering me. Got your cat. Uh, all right. So and last but not least, before we close up here today, uh, Dan, we, and again, we appreciate you being here uh, besides your work with uh, with. Peace Corps, besides juggling, besides mental health, besides uh, community involvement, give us one more thing that you, Dan Rudolph, are passionate about. Mm. Um, just being. Mm. Uh, really not doing anything, but doing everything. Awesome. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to learn how to do that. It's hard in these these times and the place that we're in, but uh, it's a fun and maybe the never ending challenge of my life. And this was a real pleasure. Uh, I appreciate you giving us some time this morning. Uh, and again, I will put links uh, on the website and with everything so people can get a hold of you if they want to know more about your juggling classes and the work that you're doing. Uh, enjoy your Halloween. Tell your family I said hello and we appreciate you uh, this morning. Thank you, Sam. This has been wonderful. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Take care, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, I'm going to end the interview. And unfortunately, because I'm bad at tech, it's just going to stop. So take care, boss. I'll talk okay. to you soon. All right. Bye. See ya. Thank you once again to mm. Dan Rudolph. I'm getting better at these Zoom calls, I think. Can't yeah, tell. it swings right in. Swings right in. Nice. Always a pleasure to have Dan have Dan Rudolph. It's funny, you know. I was thinking about it when we went to the interview in a community this small. You're you're always getting experience. You know, some people are just going to leave. People are going to go away, go on their journeys, go their places. It's always nice to see when somebody comes back and you know reinvests and is back from oh yeah being away with what they've learned and to offer the community. So I always love to see that. So shout out to Dan. Not me. I hate it. <laughs> I hate when it happens. Another hate, 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 full of hate. <laughs> uh, all right. So I have abridged history lessons we have like three full history lessons and then two short ones because i do have some so you've got five history lessons no uh because I, uh, I have some fun real life horror stories i want to share with you guys i found on the internet let's so, do those every week real life horror stories <laughs> yeah. yeah instead of history yeah uh all right uh on this day 1858 the first store opens in the frontier town of denver colorado mm. uh the colorado Is it Terror, patagonia it, it was indeed <laughs> uh it was actually just a Colorado Territory. It later took the name Denver in a shameless ploy to curry favor from Kansas Territorial Governor James W. Denver. Mm. So, what a move! Shut up. I mean, you gotta, you gotta do, you gotta do something. Um, by 1859, tens of thousands of gold seekers had flooded into the area. By then, the uh, the placer deposits were already paying out, and many miners had quickly departed from home or headed west to the mountains in search of richer gold lodes. Again, 
Another state. It's funny how much of our country is just like there might be gold there. We should. We need Could to go. Gold. <laughs> Could be gold. Uh, by 1890, uh, less than 40 years later, uh, Denver had a population of more than 106,000, making it the 26th largest urban area in the nation, mm. and earning it the nickname the Queen City of the Plains. Only getting bigger too. Yeah. Uh, however, the Silver Panic of 1893 brought the, broom, uh, brought the boom to an abrupt end, uh, though it was partially revived a year later by the gold discoveries up on Cripple Creek. Uh-huh. Uh, although the growing significance of farming and ranching helped moderate the ups and downs by decreasing the city's dependence on mining, uh, the cyclical, pad- uh, cyclical pattern of economic boom and bust would continue to dominate Denver and many other western cities throughout much of the 20th century. Denver's a town, actually, that I had many people I know have lived in, and everyone mm. says it's dope. Everyone loves it. Everybody I know who's ever been to Denver uniformly has loved it. Now, to be fair, I feel like almost everybody I know who's been to Denver has been of a certain stripe anyway. Yes. But uh, everybody says great, great things about Denver. Towards the top of my list of American cities I haven't been to that I'd very much like to visit. Love to go. Uh, All right, on this day, 1881, uh, the OK uh, Corral was uh, the site of a famous gunfight. Uh, Mm. After Silver was discovered nearby in 1877, man, Silver. I can really give him a lot of credit to Silver. It's two stories in a row. Silver, man. They, that's why they're always selling uh, gold and silver on the radio. Yeah. Uh, Tombstone, Arizona quickly grew into one of the richest mining towns in the Southwest. Uh, a former Kansas City police officer named Wyatt Earp, uh, working as a bank security guard with his brothers Morgan and Virgil, uh, represented the law and order, though they also had reputations of being power-hungry and ruthless. Uh, the Claytons and the McClory's were cowboys who lived on a ranch outside the town. And they sidelined as cattle rustlers, thieves, and murderers. And in October of 1881, the struggle between these two groups for control of Tombstone and Cochise County ended in a blaze of gunfire at the OK Corral. Mm. Heavy stuff. Uh, around 3 p.m., the Earls and Ho- uh, uh, the Earps and Holiday spotted the five members of the uh, Clayton McClory gang in a vacant lot behind the OK Corral at the end of Fremont Street. The famous gunfight uh, gun that ensued lasted all of 30 seconds, although 30 shots were fired in those 30 seconds. Though it's still debated who fired the first shot, uh, most reports say the shootout began when Virgil Earp pulled out his receiver and shot Billy Clayton point blank in the chest while Doc Holliday fired a shotgun blast at Tom McClary's chest. So, oh mad gangster. Just like straight oh gangland style. Uh, though Wyatt Earp wounded Frank McClory with a shot in the stomach, Frank managed to get off a few shots before collapsing. Uh, when the dust cleared, Clayton and the McClory brothers were dead. Virgil, Morgan Earp, and Doc Holliday were wounded. And Ike Clayton and Claiborne had run off for the hills. Uh, I had no idea what the OK Corral was growing up. I just thought it was a restaurant on the way just up to... It's thing that people talked about, yeah. Uh, have you ever seen any of the movies that were made about this fame incident? Uh, there was... Like what? Tombstone, yeah. 1993. Tombstone. Wyatt Earp, 1994. Maybe. Gunfight at the OK Corral, 1957. I don't think so. And Frontier Marshall in 1939. Mm. See, Charlie doesn't like it. He hates all these movies. He hates it. Um, He's not a mood at all. This is one of the more, like, famous Western stories I feel like I've heard in my mm. lifetime. Um, what are your thoughts on, like, Westerns in general? Is this interesting to you? Like, wh- like Western expansion? <sighs> this would probably... This specific thing... I was. It was funny. I was thinking when you were saying this, I was like, I don't... I almost don't understand where the romanticism of these events comes from. Something small like this is interesting, and Western history is interesting, but I would either need, like, a really granular deep dive on it, yeah. or something a little bit broader-reaching implications, as opposed to, like, it's cool, this legendary, like, oh, this thing happened, and it became folklore. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting, but I do, I guess my cup does get full to a certain point with Western stuff, maybe earlier than other things. I think, uh, I think it's a really interesting point, right? Like, 
what is modern folklore for us? Like, do we get modern folklore? Like, things could go into folklore in a different way in 1881 as the story travels and becomes yeah. sort of telephone game. Yeah, a lot of our, I mean, a lot of our modern folklore has become a little bit more, some of it has become our sports, yeah. um, even more so, but a lot of it is our movies and TV and the way we consume culture, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's come to replace, we don't have to tell a story about some gunfight that happened 50 years ago because mm-hmm. we can watch, you know, anything we want. We talk about Breaking Bad. You yeah. know what I mean? Like Walter White, Heisenberg has yeah. become our folklore. You know what That's I mean? True. Stuff like That's that. That's a good point. Captain America, the Four Chrises, all these guys. Uh, all right, moving on on this day, 1904 is our last full history lesson for the day. Uh, while London boasts the world's oldest underground train network, which opened in 1863, and Boston built the first subway in the United States, the New York City subway, uh, subway system, which opened on this day, 1904, became the largest American system. Uh, the first line, which was operated by the Interna- uh, Interboro Rapid Transit Company, traveled nine miles through 28 stations running from City Hall in Lower Manhattan to Grand Central Terminal in Midtown. Uh, at 7 p.m. on the evening of uh, on the evening they opened, uh, the subway opened to the general public and more than 100,000 people paid a nickel each to take their first ride under Manhattan. Uh, even then, they were complaining about the cost of a nickel. That's way too expensive. Come on. Nickel. Mm. Now it's like two seventy-five, and people were big mad. Um, the mayor of New York at the time, uh, Mayor McLennan, got on and actually rode the first train with an engineer, and he enjoyed it so much that he stayed on all the way from City Hall up to 103rd Street. I don't know what that means to anybody, but that's a pretty long subway trip. Yeah. He just loved it. Uh, every day, some 4.5 million passengers take the subway to New York, with the exception of the PATH train connecting New York and New Jersey. Uh, New York subway is the only rapid transit system in the world that runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, no matter how crowded or dirty, the subway is one of New York City's institutions uh, that no one could do without. I loved the subway. Yeah. Loved it. I believe that. I romanticized the hell out of it. Big time. I bet. Um, Very romanticizable at the time. There's a lot of benefits to the subway. Definitely. I like the ability to read a book on the way to work and not have to like pay attention to the road. Mm-hmm. I like not having to call a taxi when I've had too many drinks at the bar. Mm-hmm. I, like, uh, I like the sort of... People watching. Definitely. Uh, didn't care for the smelliness of it or uh, the hassles that you get for people trying to sell you stuff or people dancing. or. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's all kind of cultural and interesting. You could, like, swing that into being for interesting sure. if you wanted to. For sure. Um, I always wondered, though, when I was a kid, now I understand why, why more cities didn't have subways. It seemed like such a good idea. I don't need them. You don't need them, I suppose. Them. Also, right? I mean, to be fair, like, when you can't put a subway in Los Angeles... You know what no, I mean? it's like, true. Uh, earthquakes, yeah. subduction zones, flooding, you know, a lot of different stuff like that. That's, or what do you put one in Miami, it'll be underwater. Yeah, it's true. I guess it is sort of singular. And that's also the thing I've done. I've been to, like, the Transit Museum in New York because mm-hmm. I'm a huge nerd. Sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, what's interesting about the New York City subway, if you look at a map of it, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, mm-hmm. like, it doesn't seem like something that one person would have designed as a functional system. Mm-hmm. And that's because it's not. These are all competing train companies that were building their own separate lines of trains. It was only years later that the MTA consolidated all of this yeah. and said, let's just make it all one thing. Yeah. That's why none of these trains well, connect or are much well like, run. I'm much, <laughs> like the, much like the streets in the city of Boston where you can tell the streets were made back before there were any notion of cars <laughs> yeah. and people were just walking. It's, uh, I, I read an interesting story one time. I think it's in Tokyo, the subway system in Tokyo. They were trying to figure out, because it's super busy out there, trying to figure out how best to efficiently organize it and build out the system. Mm-hmm. And they were building it. And what they did was they plotted out the points uh, on like whatever system in a lab, mm-hmm. and they used mycelium from mushrooms. 
and they put the cultures in there and basically the mushrooms figured out the most efficient hmm. pathways to connect everything and they modeled their subway wow. on that system. Huh. I can find I gotta find the article. That's it's really, really interesting when I read it, huh. but they basically use this like, oh, if we reorganize it this way, they basically allowed the mycelium and the, the mushroom to find the most efficient way to disperse the energy in the transit and everything like that. Science. Science, man. Logic. Science. <laughs> Speaking of science and logic, I guess sorta. Of. On this day, nineteen eighty four, the Terminator. Directed mm. by James Cameron, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lee Hamilton, <laughs> is released <laughs> in the United States. Uh, we watched Terminator Dark Fate mm. in one of my classic clips. J.R. Smith with the play button. J.R. Smith, just <laughs> out of nowhere. Uh, and I said it to you while watching the movie. I'm not going to do a deep dive on Terminator. We've talked about it a billion times. Sick. Um, I think they've they've reached the limit of what they can do with the Terminator mm-hmm. and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton. I liked the last movie. I actually thought it was pretty entertaining. It wasn't bad. But I think we've gone too far. I think the only way you can save the the Terminator franchise, if you want to... Leave it alone. Well, you gotta start over. Mm. You can't... New character, new cast, no more Mm. Arnold, no more Linda. Like, reframe the whole thing. Mm. I jokingly said John Cena, and I can't stop thinking about him as the Terminator in a serious Terminator reboot. People will laugh at me for saying Mm. it. But I think that's the move. I'll reach out to you listeners. If you have an idea for what you think should be the new Terminator. Yeah, who should play the Terminator? Who should play the Terminator? If they were to remake Terminator today, who do you think should play the Terminator? Andrew Cuomo. Oh, come on. <laughs> He's scary. So uh, who? <laughs> Andrew Cuomo's under the bed right now. Stealing your extra their other sock. He was That's why your socks don't match and they come out of the laundry. Where do you think my PlayStation Andrew is? Andrew Cuomo converts himself to a laundry goblin. <laughs> yeah. He took my King play- Cuomo came in and taxed your PlayStation. He did. He declared so. prima nocta on your PlayStation. Bastard. Uh, and on this day, 2000, uh, in the World Series, the Yankees defeated the New York Mets 4-2 mm. uh, in Game 5 at Shea Stadium to win the Subway World Series. I was basking in the sunlight for just a minute. Uh, it was the third straight World Series at that time. Uh, the MVP pre-9-11 yeah. as a kid MVP was Derek Jeter oh man always in our hearts now MVP is MVP <laughs> yo I I was talking to my mom last night and she's like oh you have people coming over for, for wrestling and I said yeah well you know we're gonna watch wrestling and football and then the World Series and she goes oh the World Series is on and I was like did you not know the World Series is on and then I was like I barely knew the World, the, World the World Series I don't know I just assumed I forgot the World Series is on apparently people are saying people are saying some people are telling me that this World Series is good. That apparently it's worth watching. Yeah. I'm not super invested. I gotta tell you. Why would you be? You never have, why would you expect yourself to be? You weren't last year or the year before. I think the You're novelty. You're invested when the Yankees are. It's like you're shocked every year when it comes around. I think the novelty of returning sports in COVID has worn off. Big for time. Me. The, the idea that like we, like thank God sports are back. I don't know. I'm kind of no. That was know. that was a false narrative. Yeah, it was all false narrative. Like, oh, now we've got baseball back. We don't watch baseball. Why would it be now? <laughs> you know true. what I mean? Like, um, all right. So that's all the history lessons I have for this week. Okay, I found this in Esquire. Okay, this is okay. from earlier in October, so from this year. <coughs> Do you want to read more of them? You can go ahead and find them. But I got three stories that I found here. Okay, so these are terrifying but true horror stories that were reported in the news. I see. Uh, and I'll start with one right here. It's called the Axe Murder House. Mm-hmm. This is about the Villisca Axe Murder House in Villisca, Iowa. Mm-hmm. It's a well-known tourist attraction for ghost hunters mm-hmm. and horror lovers alike. Uh, the site of a gruesome unsolved 1912 murder in which six children and two adults had their skulls mm-hmm. completely crushed by an axe of an unknown perpetrator. 
Uh, it was purchased in 1994, restored to its 1912 condition, so already this has, like, this is a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Just... <laughs> converted into a tourist destination. It costs $428 a night to stay at the old haunted house, where visitors are always report strange paranormal experiences, such as visions of a man with an axe roaming the halls, or the faint screams of children. I'm going to stop right here. $428. Are you interested in staying at the, the murder-haunted house here? In Iowa? No. In... <laughs> no, for 400 no. No. Uh, however, in November of 2014, this takes a much darker turn. Get ready, folks. Mm. Robert Stephen Lawrenson uh, of Rendler, Wisconsin, went on a regular recreational paranormal visit with his friends when true horror stuck, struck. His companions found him stabbed in the chest. Multiple uh-huh. self-inflicted stab wounds. They called 911. He was brought to a nearby hospital before being helicoptered. Stabbed himself in the chest? Yeah. Uh. So, however, here's this, the creepy part, right, for people who are saying it. The Montgomery Sheriff's Office said he suffered the self-inflicted injury at about 1245, which is about the same time the 1912 ex-murderer no, began. Garbage. No, garbage. No, garbage. Let me tell you why. Well, here's the thing. He recovered from the injuries. Uh-huh. And he has never spoken publicly about what happened on this day. Yeah, because I'll, I'll tell you about that, too. <laughs> <laughs> and the people from the house don't like this story, by the way, because they think it's the wrong kind of publicity for their Villisca Axe Murder House. I mean, well, that's... <laughs> Here's the thing. If you've got the Axe Murder House, right, and you're inviting people to come tour at the Axe Murder yeah. House, you have to be cognizant of the type of people who would take a tour to an Axe yes, Murder House. Yes, it's very true. And amongst those people, there's probably somebody so worked up who's like, yeah, at 12.45, the time that the axe murders took place, I'm going to sacrifice myself to the spirit realm, catch the axe murder, and stab my... Having some wild breakdown. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they did it at that time. And, of course, they don't talk about it because they failed and they feel stupid. They feel stupid because they stabbed themselves in the chest <laughs> because they got gassed off a YouTube documentary about the axe house. Now they feel dumb. So, of course, they don't talk about Never it. Never speak about it again. Because nobody's asking them because nobody wants to hang out with that weirdo anymore. Well, here's one for you. How about this one? Here's the haunted doll. Mm. Okay. When you think of haunted dolls, you likely think of creepy old Victorian-looking dolls. But mm. uh, in this case, we're talking about a recent Christmas gift. It was a Disney Frozen Elsa doll that was gifted for Christmas 2013 in the Houston area. Mm. Uh, and what happened was the doll would speak in particular phrases, right? It would say things from the movie Frozen or sing the song Let It Go. And for two years, it did it in English. And then in 2015, it started alternating between English and Spanish, even though there is no Spanish button, right? There's no Espanol button, right? Mm-hmm. It was just sort of random. Now, that's fine. If you want to sit here and tell me that, like, the tech on these things is crummy and it might have just shorted out or whatever, that doesn't, that's not spooky to me, right? No. The family that owned the doll has owned the doll for more than six years. Mm-hmm. has never changed its batteries. The mother says the doll would randomly begin to speak and sing even when it was turned off. Mm-hmm. The family decided to throw the creepy doll out in December of 2019. Mm. Weeks later, they found it inside a bench in their living room. Oh, shout out to that lady's husband. The kids, Excellent work, sir. The kids insisted <laughs> they did not put it there. Uh, and I believe them. They wouldn't have dug through the garbage, uh, the lady said. Yes, they would have. They're kids. Your kids aren't scared of the garbage. At this point, Elsa ceased to sing the song Let It Go Altogether speaking only in Spanish when pressed. The family then double-bagged the bizarre doll and placed it in the bottom of their garbage, which was taken out on garbage day. They went on a trip shortly after, but when they returned, Elsa, too, had come back and was waiting in the backyard of their home. Uh, This time, the family mailed Elsa to a family friend in Minnesota who taped the haunted doll to the front bumper of his truck. He's a trucker. 
It doesn't seem to have made its way back to Houston, according to the latest update from February, with a picture of the creepy doll still residing on the family friend's truck. Mm-hmm. No, you don't like it? You don't like this one either? Uh, what, the, I like it if this lady's husband has got, uh, this, or one of her kids, if she's got an older kid, has got this thing worked out where they're like returning the doll and messing with people. I'm big into that. But no, burn it. What are you, what are you doing mailing this thing? Like, Yes, I get it. Don't burn plastic and batteries. Totally don't do that. Sure. Don't listen to this. Yeah. But <laughs> if you've got a haunted doll that's threatening to let you go from this mortal <laughs> coil, so to speak, burn the doll. Uh, all right, and I'll give you one last one. This is real short. This is the one that I like the most, actually. This is called The Watcher. After moving into their $1.3 million dream house, a New Jersey family started receiving creepy death threats from someone who identified themselves as, quote-unquote, The Watcher. It's from a CBS News report earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Since moving in, the owner said they had received numerous letters from a mysterious person called The Watcher, claiming the house has been the subject of his family for decades, he has been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming, is what the letters said. New owners have several children, and other letters asked, have they found out what's inside the walls yet? I am pleased to know your name now, and the names of the young children you have brought to me. <laughs> the family was forced to flee from the house and later filed a lawsuit against the previous owner. I did some further research on this and looked this story up. Mm. This is from the New Jersey, uh, the New Jersey CBS local. Sure. Um, the new uh, it says here that no charges have been filed. Like police uh, departments conducted an extensive investigation based on the factual circumstances and the evidence available. No charges have been filed into the case. Whether the owners have any legal recourse remains to be seen. But they have left the they have left the house. The mm. stalker has scared them out of the house. Mayor says under New Jersey law, the letters are classified as disorderly person's crime. Anyone who may find new information about the letters is asked to call the Westfield, New Jersey Police Department. Mm. The Watcher. That one's creepy. That one's the creepiest. That's that's the creepiest of the stories for me. I found Mm -hmm. that. I saved that one for the end. That's like a. That's a person, not a doll, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's the same thing. That's why I find the strangers Mm. to be creepier than the Chucky Mm. movies. Yeah, no, that's true. I hear you. Uh, you were excited about this story this week. Let's do something not spooky. This is a story about uh, space. Uh, oh, you got it all backwards. This is extra spooky. <laughs> water has been uh, definitively found on the moon. The moon is alive. Are you kidding me? <laughs> NASA has said. Uh, and there is a series of water traps uh, that could hold it stably. Research suggests that water could be distributed right across the lunar surface, not just trapped in the cold, shadowed parts of the moon. This discovery is a major breakthrough in the mission to explore the rest of the solar system as well as giving a better understanding of the lunar surface. It also raises new questions about how exactly the water got there and how it's able to survive in the harsh conditions on the moon. Uh, so love yeah, it. Water love on the moon. Dude, there's, there's, great, there's incredible space news. One of my biggest regrets about being alive at the time that we're alive at is we're going to miss, if, thing, you know, if we keep moving on a forward trajectory... Miss a lot of stuff, a lot of discoveries about space, like a hundred yeah. years from now. You know what I mean? Uh, it's crazy some of the stuff that you see, and it really always just goes to show how little we actually know. You know, oh we my think God. we know, but well, I always think about dinosaurs. Final Frontiers, right? Because I, I love dinosaurs. As a kid, I've been you know mm-hmm. reading dinosaur stories growing up, and even today, I read a new story every week. It's like, oh, dinosaurs have feathers now. Like that's mm-hmm. now the accepted. Yeah, many, that's tough for a lot of people. People hated that. Yeah. Dinosaur fans are mad, big mm-hmm. mad. They're like feathers. That's stupid. I'm like, oh, that kind of makes sense. They're mm-hmm. they sort of look like chickens if you think about it, right? Like, it's, I don't know. 
all the stuff changes as you go along, right? This happens all the time, too. You see people who, like, read stuff about, like, dinosaurs or, or, or science or whatever, and they just stop. And, like, ten years later, like, oh, that's not true anymore? Pluto's not a planet? No? Yeah. No? Okay, cool. Uh, let's talk about Borat for a second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we haven't watched the movie yet. I'd like to watch it. Uh, have you watched the Rudy Giuliani scene that's making the round? No, I just, I only saw, I saw the screenshot of him. <laughs> I gotta be honest, I watched the scene. Yeah. I don't think it was quite as, it's still creepy. He's a creep. I think oh. the problem is, like, it's, did he maliciously attack some young woman? Of course he's no. a creep. Here, listen, I'll say it, I say it on this podcast all the time. Yeah. All the time. We talk so much about people are outraged, somebody's outraged, someone, marketing. It's all just marketing. It's all marketing. It's all, like... Yeah, Giuliani's a creep. Yeah, he didn't look great there, but like it, this was marketing. Outrage marketing in the form of clickbait is a very, very real prevalent thing in our society. I don't think he did himself any favors by going on Twitter and being or like, being the they worst. tried to no. get me, but they couldn't get me. It's like, I don't know, man. It seems no, like man. they kind of got. Stop. It seems like you done got got. Stop drinking. <laughs> All right, let's do some. Uh, ooh, let's do some animals. Some scary animals. What? You ready? Let's, wait, what? Scary animal stories. I have okay. scary animal stories. I didn't mean to say it like that. I think they uh, heard it. I didn't all heard it, it right? Like Pete, you heard that. Uh, right? <laughs> all right, here's a uh, scary story from Oakland about a notoriously aggressive turkey. Uh, Gerald, the inordinately aggressive turkey that had forced the closure of Oakland's uh, Morecambe Rose Garden, mm. is off to greener, albeit less rosy, pastures. After five months of attacking unsuspecting Grand Lakes resident. Gerald the turkey was captured Thursday and released onto wild lands. Okay, this is my favorite part of the story. The solution to this month-long saga was quite similar to the problem that started it when a wildlife capture expert posed as a frail old woman to lure the turkey in. So there was like a wire wire turkeys lured to frail old women. Because the turkey Gerald's preferred victims seem to be older women according to the Oakland Animal Service. This... Turkey had a pattern of attacking older women. So this this wildlife expert dressed up like an old woman to lure the turkey in. Popped on a costume. <laughs> sprung. Tarp off. Oh, my gosh. So she's pretending to be scared of him. And then Gerald the turkey starts puffing up and showing aggression. And she saw his reaction and said, oh, you want a piece of this? I'll give it to you. So when Gerald comes lunging, lunging after her, she does something called grabbing it by scruffing the turkey where you grab it by the neck. Yeah. So she just grabs it by the neck and picks it up and that's how they captured him. Gerald the turkey. With the exception of like an emu or an ostrich, any bird that comes through you can be snatched by its neck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, unless if you've got like an eagle yeah. or an osprey or a condor or something coming <laughs> yeah. at you. Yeah, don't do, don't do that. If I was writing, if this was Weekend Update and I was writing a joke for it, I'd be like, la la, this turkey's been threatening everybody. Local municipality has a plan. They've called it Thanksgiving. <laughs> like, it's a turkey. Why not just go... Uh, and I have one more animal story for you. This is, a, this is another wild one. This is just the headline, okay? <clears throat> Mutant crayfish clones take over cemetery after aquarium escape. Oh, boy. Uh, an unnatural freak known as the Marbled Crayfish has taken over a cemetery in Belgium where the suspected aquarium escapee has cloned itself into an unkillable swarm of crustacean copies. Uh, it's impossible to round them up, essentially, because they're very small, and they are threatening the natural balance and other species in the area. It's like trying to empty the ocean with a thimble, said Kevin Shears of the INBO, trying to round up all these, uh, these crabs, or crayfish. 
This is a scenario that experts had worried about for years. Mm. Super invasive crayfish species can eat just about anything, live just about anywhere, and reproduce just wherever it wants, and it doesn't uh, and it doesn't need anything else. It's uh, asexual, so they don't even have to like oh mate. Oh my gosh! Right. The crayfish shout out to Jurassic Park. Yeah, the crayfish clones <laughs> itself. Uh, finds yeah. a way. Every member of the species is female, and it lays eggs that hatch without sperm to fertilize them. Uh, this is the plot of Alien. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> uh, this is this invasive species has sparked concerns in uh, European Union, United States, and Canada, though it's uh, it's a hard creature to stomp out of the pet trade. They grow up to 12 centimeters long. They're extremely easy to care for which and bred, which makes them an active pet mm. for, many, uh, for many collectors. Oh, my gosh. So there you go. The crayfish, the mutant crayfish, are coming for all of us. Uh, I guess that's our doomsday report. Imagine probably. trying to explain to one of these mega idiots why that's a problem that we should take seriously. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to do that. Uh, it's Halloween. What is that? Uh, oh, it's uh, it's Halloween, my friend. So, I see. Uh, before we close up here for the night, I have some uh, I have some Halloween costume discussion. Okay. To talk about this. Yeah, year. yeah. Uh, so we have this is from Gizmodo. Uh, these are our some of our worst Halloween 2020 costumes. Mm. Uh, number one was this uh, sexy Colonel from KFC. This is the costume of the year. It is a lingerie style costume. Mm-hmm. Where the woman has a mustache and a little white beard and has a chicken on her shoulder and she's dressed up like the KFC colonel. Right. But sexy. Yeah. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these other ones on here, you're seeing a lot of like CBD themed Halloween costumes what? this year. Yeah. Like Chill Vibes is a guy with a gummy bear costume. He's like a CBD gummy. Oh my gosh. Terrible. Uh, a lot of topical People are ones. in jail for marijuana. I want you to know that. <laughs> yeah, I know, People right? are serving jail time. Uh, here's some of the quote-unquote topical costumes this year. Uh, postal worker, right? So sexy post postal worker. Sexy murder hornet. Uh, sexy Joe Exotic, which is very popular, it seems like. I believe this would... I'll tell you what. If, if there was a Halloween this year, you would see so much of this yeah. Tiger King stuff. And sexy mail-in ballot. These are all very topical oh, and nice. very sexy. Okay. Uh, you're seeing a lot of fringe Joker. Joker's back this year. Joker was a movie that was popular. Mm, it was uh, also last year, though, too. People were Joker last year. That came uh, out last year. A lot of Disney stuff, a lot of Aladdin stuff, a lot uh-huh. of Star Wars stuff. These are all just sexy costumes, it seems, on this one. So let me move to the next one. Yeah, I this is just... <laughs> I had, No, I had multiple ones. <laughs> this appears to just be a website full of sexy uh, photographs. <laughs> uh, so here's a couple of good ones I saw here as well. Oh, avocado toast. There's a couple one for you millennials. Someone can go as an avocado. Someone else can go as toast. I only like that if the person who's the avocado spends the whole night just doing, like, body presses, <laughs> jumping at the toast person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, any sort of, like, TikTok. I see TikTok is a mm, costume. Like, I'm too old to understand, at, I understand what, they, what they're doing there. Uh, yeah, a lot of Joe Exotic, though. Tiger Queen is what people were calling it. So there you go. Oh. So have you thought about a Halloween costume this year? What? Been, For where? I don't know. I'm I'm not, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. Uh... Miss me. Uh, I we guess we don't have a show. I'm not. Yeah, you're not dragging me out. I guess I could dress up as Lionel Messi because I own a Messi jersey, those mm. Barcelona shorts, and I have a beard. Makes so it nice and easy. I, I could you just... definitely this. If I if I were to go anywhere do anything this year, it would definitely be a put it together out of things you have type of year. You know what I mean? Like big time, like construction worker year or something. Where it's like, yeah, these are jeans and a shirt. And I got this funny hat. Here we are. Uh, let's do one mailbag question, and then we'll get into our Spotify picks. Really fun Spotify this week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, this is a great mailbag question. I've been holding this one off. Mm. I'm in my mid-30s, have a wife and a kid, and I don't pay for cable TV because my retired parents let me use their password to access different network apps so we can watch uh, sports and chopped, etc., etc. 
My question is, ethically, should I offer to pay part of my parents' cable bill and how much seems right? If it helps, we could afford cable with little issue and my parents would likely pay for cable regardless of whether or not I use their logins. I feel like this is a pretty common thing. People use their, like, parents' logins. Sure. I don't think this is a thing that happens anymore, though, because I've tried to do this, and a lot of those new, like, cable things are, like, geo-tagged. So I can't use my mom's login if I'm not in her, like, home region. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's why I can't use it here. I don't think you should feel bad about this, though. Not I don't at think all. It's like, no, you don't need to pay them either. These cable companies make tons and tons of money. You're a good money. person for thinking about that yeah. and worrying about that. And good for you. And do something nice for your parents, for sure. Yeah. Give your parents your Netflix or something like that. Give them yeah. access. But no, your parents are happy to help you out. Uh, one of the things we run into, and I know you and me have talked about this before, Sometimes, when you grow older, you know, you don't want your parents to do anything for you. You want to stand your own as an adult. Yeah. Sometimes, you got to let your parents do stuff for you because it makes your parents feel good to do they like stuff to. for their kid. Because they they, like you're independent stuff. and, you know, you don't need them. So, they <laughs> like to do something nice and be there for you. So, allow people to be kind to you. Yeah, that's a great that's a great way to close mm-hmm. out the show this week. Uh, before we go on this special Halloween episode, Kevin, yes. we have a very big, very giant, uh, hour-long plus Halloween super mix that we put 16 together. 16 tracks. Just for you guys. Uh, is there any particular tracks from our special Halloween super mix you'd like to share with the folks or highlight before we uh, head out this weekend? Um, Yeah, let me pull up my, my list here. Let's see what's going on. Let me pull up the playlist. Yeah, so we tried to pick spooky songs. We've This is the only time we've really talked about tracks on this podcast before we started doing the mixtape mm-hmm. was to put together, hey, here's some stuff for Halloween or whatever. So I tried not to go back to... Mm-hmm. I tried not to go back to... Some stuff we've hit, but I did put the Easy Star All-Star version of Thriller on there because mm-hmm. I think it's Classic. awesome. Yep. Um, I was having a tough time figuring out which white zombie song to put on, <laughs> put on there. I went Grease Paint and Monkey Brains um, because uh, that was one of the first ones. I was like, wait, what is this? Who the hell is this band? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, don't know, I got a bunch of good stuff on there. What about you? Uh, so I initially had started this... Uh... You know, and I was like, oh, I'll do, like, some, you know, classic horror movie themes for movies, right? And then right. I came across a little track called Pet Cemetery" by the Ramones, mm-hmm. and it's so terrible. It's one of the worst, but it's perfect for this kind of, like, Halloween mix. It's super cheesy, super yeah. over-the-top, Stephen King reference. I was like, I have to put this on here. Mm-hmm. And that ended up sort of coloring where I went with a lot of these mix. So I'm real literal on a lot of this stuff. I yeah. got... You know, Somebody's Watching Me by Rockwell. I got the Adams Family MC Hammer Groove. They mm. do what they want to do, say what I they want to say. I did the, what was the one on Nightmare on My Street with DJ <laughs> Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince? That, that almost make, made the list. That didn't make the cut for me. <laughs> um, yeah, I went with some of it. I put more vibes. Like I've got a Deftone song on there. I've got a Radiohead song on there that aren't specifically like Halloween, mm-hmm. but they've got sort of like creepy vibes and names. Um, definitely some stuff didn't make the cut, though, too, which is always tough. But yeah. try to keep it a number, because there's no point in putting out a playlist every week if you're going to put, like, 60 songs. I know. We could have put a million. Because then people aren't just going to yeah. try to make it more of a mixtape <laughs> style so you can sit down and get through it and give it a listen. All right, folks, that's it. Uh, by the time you hear this next week, uh, Halloween will be over, and it will be the day before National Election Day. November 3rd. When we come back. Not by the time you hear this. You'll hear this just tomorrow. Right. Well, by the time and next time, by the, next time you see next us, time. yeah, and it'll be it's, it's going to be weird. Speed up. It's going to be weird because we're going to record that show next week on mm-hmm. Monday, mm-hmm. and then the next day will be election day. I'm going to start lobbying right now to not talk about it at all next week. You know, I'm not totally. If I could not find, even pretend it doesn't exist. If I could have a guest, once in four years, if I could have a guest, uh-huh. 
to do like some real some fun some like yeah some decent well not even that if i could if i could get like my good friend luke from mm. uc to talk about like the election and do that as just the interview mm. i would I'd just get rid of all the politics the rest of the show you know what i mean mm. i would love to not do it yeah, yeah. um you know, I, I said didn't even say about it earlier. Really. This very well could be our last official Trump World segment that we do. Like, I guess no. next week. Next week could be. No, uh, definitely not. You don't think so? They, they don't. When you whether win or lose the election, he'll still be the president for months. No, I, I know that. But I'm just saying he'll be doing some wild shit. I, we'll I, have know, to talk about. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> it'll just, definitely. Be. No, I know. I know. But all right, wish, you wish. You wish it could be, but. Listen to the spooky music. Get in the vibe. Listen to the spooky music, folks. Uh, again, uh, shout out to Heather Waz. Uh, I had a really nice conversation uh, about Heather with somebody. I ran into um, a friend of some people that we know, but somebody I haven't seen in a while, and they were friends with Heather, and we had a really nice conversation. Shout out to Heather. I was thinking about her. We miss her. Again, follow her on Instagram, uh, little uh, Mohawk Valley Little Explorer. She's been really doing some good work Killing with that. Him. Follow Kevin at underscore Kevin Sullivan. Follow mm. me at SF Doom, or follow the show at Uticast. We are on Facebook, Instagram, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts. We're taking over the web. Shout out to Stitcher Hive, Spotify, uh, Sayonara Humanoids Keep it tight Happy Halloween Stay weird Woodstock lives But no one else will <laughs> uh, Tape machines are rolling We are desperately Desperately out of time Desperate. And we will see you Next week uh, Alright Get out there and vote That's folks right, We can see you We are the watcher Yeah We are We're the, the watcher, watcher. Uh, Yeah Get out there and vote folks Early voting st- ends This weekend You got until Sunday To make your vote happen If you don't want to do it On November 3rd Take care folks